Back in May, uh, my wife Alice and I went to Fort Worth, Texas. I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, for someone that loves like Western movies and all of that, it was so cool. I loved it. And uh, I guess the big draw to this uh, specific spot in Fort Worth, um, they had this twice a day cattle drive through the streets. So it was really cool. Like these big scary bulls were just walking through the streets. And they warned you, don't get too close to the street because they got big horns. Um, Right? And so there was like all of these people gathered by the street to watch this cattle drive. And it, it stuck out to me that like everyone was amazed, locked in, except for the workers who were there. Uh, like they were cleaning up the trash, uh, going about what they had to do. But it stuck out to me, like, this is cool. All of these people are just in awe, except for the ones that were just so used to it. It was normal to them. And I think if we're not careful, New Life Church, that can be what happens to us with the gospel. Where we read it so many times, we talk about it so many times, we've heard it taught so many times, that we can be like those workers. Not in awe. It's just normal. We can't let this happen though. And, and where we're going to be today, like we see the beauty of the gospel, we also see the danger and what happens if we get to the point where the gospel is just nothing real special to us. And what I want to do first is I want to read the passage and then we're going to pray because I need help and you need help too. And the only one that can help us is the one true God. So, I would encourage you to pull out your Bibles on your phone, your tablet, paper Bible, whatever it is. It will be up there on the screen. But again, your understanding of what we're talking about is always going to be weaker when you don't have it in front of you. So, Luke chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 11 through 32. This is the parable of the lost son. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field as he came near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told them. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Let us pray. God, I thank you for the love you have for lost sinners like me and for everyone in this room. I pray, God, like you got to work in our hearts. We can't do this without you. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, just to come convict and encourage and challenge. Oh, you're so good. And thank you for passages like this where we see how good you are. Jesus, I ask these in your name. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles out, you go to chapter 15, verse 1 to 2, and we see why Jesus is telling this story, this parable, which is a story with a meaning. It says in verses 1 to 2, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is telling this parable to convict the Pharisees and these religious leaders. They totally missed the point. Here was Jesus pursuing sinners, like the most obvious of sinners. He was pursuing them, loving, spending time with them. And these hypocritical, hardened Pharisees were complaining. How could Jesus, who says he's holy, that he follows God, spend time with these obvious, horrible sinners? Right? This is what they were thinking. They totally missed the point. These Pharisees thought that you were right with God because of your outward obedience. And in the end, they made all worship about them. 
And what Jesus did is he came and he just blasted them for their false religion and in hypocrisy. And by the way, if you're here and you're trying to understand this whole Christianity thing, like, I want you to understand it's not just a list of rules and do's and don'ts. Because that was the Pharisees and Jesus came and he was incredibly harsh against them like all throughout the time that he was here on earth. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your obedience too, but that's going to come after he saves you and it will come from a place of love. Jesus wants your heart. And that's what he's trying to help these Pharisees see. And he tells three parables here in Luke 15. We'll look at the first two in a couple of minutes. But this parable here, Jesus is saying, no, I am right to go pursue and love these sinners and lost people. So, that's, that's kind of what this is all about. And what we're going to do as, as we look at this passage is unpack how do we take Jesus' teaching here seriously in our lives? Like, what does this mean for our hearts? And what I want us to do is I want us to kind of wrestle through the passage and come to the problem and the solution together. So that's what I want us, that's what I want to help us do. But first, we're going to start looking at the lost son or the prodigal son as he's often called. So I'll probably use those interchangeably. This is not meant to be like this full gospel illustration. But we see the beautiful gospel here. And I thought as, as we think about these things, it's worth just looking at what this says about the gospel. Now, I want you to think there's three main characters here. You have the lost son, you have the father, and you have the older son. Who are these three characters? Well, first, who's the son? The rebellious and the lost. Who does that represent? Sinners. You and me. So as you look here, think about yourself and what this says about you. In verse 13 it says, Not many days later, after he insulted his own father by asking for the inheritance right now, he took everything he had, he traveled to a distant country where he squandered everything in foolish living. He insults his father, runs away from him, and pursues what's worthless. That's you and me. And it's worth reflecting on how sinful we are. Because sometimes it's really easy to forget how unworthy we are of God's love and grace. Like, listen to Romans 3, 10 to 18. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who do, does what is good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
That's you and me. Oh my goodness. Like so lost, so sinful, so wicked. We looked at this last week, but this is the perfect description of you and me and this prodigal son. In Psalm 4, 2, How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? That's what we all do from birth. Pursue what's worthless and live a lie. Like that's you and that's me. And and the scripture makes it so clear. We deserve nothing but hell. Because we're born with this sickness of sin and we choose to rebel against God and there's nothing we can do to help ourselves. Like Ephesians 2 makes it clear. Like we're not just, we're really not just sick. We're not really just spiritually unwell. We're dead spiritually. And there's nothing we can do about it. Just like a dead man lying in his grave can't do anything to rise himself from the dead. Let this sink in. You pursue what's worthless. You live a lie from birth. And look at verse 17. He says, He came to his senses. Like all of a sudden, he came to his senses and realized, what have I done? Like he hit rock bottom. If you look at testimonies of people that come to know Christ, usually, a lot of the times, there's some kind of a rock bottom that's there in their story. Like they hit rock bottom and then they realize, what have I done? What have I become? And it's Rock bottom is hard to hit. But it's better that you hit rock bottom now before it's too late. I pray that the Lord makes you come to your senses like this lost son. Rock bottom is good in the end. And there's a moment in the life. And that's why like, this doesn't show the full gospel, but we see beautiful parts of the gospel. We see our sinfulness, pursuing what's worthless and living a lie. We see him coming to, a sen- to his senses. And there's a moment in the life of every person that believes in Jesus where the Holy Spirit does what this lost son does. Like they come to their senses. Like God the Holy Spirit kind of shows you this mirror and you see yourself for who you really are. Like the Holy Spirit just kind of holds up this mirror figuratively and you see, oh my goodness. Who am I? I'm done for. I'm dead and I, I can't do anything about it. I can't stand even close to the perfection of God. Like there's a moment when the Holy Spirit just shows you, kind of picks you up and you see reality for the first time. I'm lost and there's nothing I can do about it. He hits rock bottom and for the first time he sees reality. And I love verse 20. Like he gets up, he goes to his father, but his father runs to him and is filled with compassion. He doesn't even let, he, like his father doesn't even let him finish the speech that he rehearsed. Like, like he was going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. Like the father just cuts him off. Doesn't even let him continue. Who's the father in this story? It's God. It's easy to miss how amazing this is. Like, I'm sure there's many of you where you've been wounded by your own child. 
And if you were given the chance, you would do exactly what this son did here. Just be like, forget about it. I've already forgiven you. Like, come here. This is just a, a, that kind of love that you as parents have for your kids is just a teaspoon of the kind of love that God has for us. And I've seen this kind of love in my family with some things going on. Like I have seen some family members deeply wounded go, ah, I've already forgiven you. That's just a teaspoon of the kind of love that God has for you. Like Psalm 103, what a beautiful, beautiful verse. In verse 11 says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. That's the kind of love that God has for us. Like to the point where he died on the cross to save you. And we see this like pursuing and this compassion and this love in the first two parables that Jesus tells here. And it's not on the screen, but, but listen to this. In verse 4, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. I love this. Or look in verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Like, what do we see here in these three stories? God loves the sinful and he runs after them and pursues them and calls them and saves them. It's so easy to look at this and we've heard it a million times. We sing songs about these things. But don't lose sight how amazing it is that we don't work our way to be right with God. God came here as a man to die on the cross to save us. He pursues us. He searches for us. He came to seek and to save the lost. This is such good news. He comes and runs full of compassion. Like, you might be here and you've kind of been dragging your feet with trusting in Christ because you might have this picture of God that He's this hardened being, arms crossed, foot tapping. Maybe because that's what your your parents were like. No, He's there and He's ready to forgive no matter how sinful you are. Like, I have an uncle who at one point said, I I can't be saved. Like, I know how sinful I am. Right? There's this general picture, like, that God wants nothing to do with those who turn towards Him. But we see here, no, He's there. He's ready to forgive. In fact, if you're coming to God forgiveness, He's already been pursuing you because we don't just wake up one day and decide on our own, I'm going to turn to God today. It's God who does that. He pursues and saves the lost sinner. 
You can go to him right now. If you're here and you've kind of been dragging your feet or wrestling, like, do I turn to God or, or what's he going to be like? You can go to him right now. Confess your sins. Cry out to him for salvation. Trust that he is your only hope. Because God became man and died to save you and rose again. And as we talk about lost sons and this prodigal son, I, I think it's worth just taking a pause. If you're a Christian here, you probably have some kind of a prodigal son in your life. Maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, a grandchild, a spouse, a parent, a friend who you thought was saved and they've just completely rebelled against God. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? I have a feeling most of you, if not all of you, at least one name comes to mind. It's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. It might keep you up at night. To see someone that you thought loved Jesus just completely reject Him. And I just want to first say it's easy when we see this happen, especially when it's a sibling or a child, to say, well, they prayed a prayer, right, when they were seven, so they're, they're okay. Don't find your hope in them praying a prayer. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say praying is what saves you. Like, as you put your trust in Christ, you will probably pray, talk to God, tell Him what you're believing. But prayer doesn't save you. And I remember the first time I heard that, I was probably in fifth grade at a VBS, and uh, my youth pastor was like, hey, you're not saved by praying. And I remember, I felt like I was hit by a truck. Don't find your hope in someone praying a prayer. Find your hope in two things. God loses none who come to him. In John chapter 6, verse 39 to 40, it says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is comfort. God never loses or casts out someone who has been saved, who has believed in Him. And one day they will turn back to Him. And it might be that this prodigal person in your life is saved and they're just going through this period of time where they're rebelling and rejecting and God's going to bring them back. It has happened time and time again. But it also might be that they aren't saved. And sometimes the only thing you can take comfort in is that God is in the business of saving the hardest of hearts. If you look throughout all the scripture, you see God saves the people whose hearts are hard. And it doesn't even make sense why God would love them and pursue them and chase after them like the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. 
God can save the hardest of hearts. That's what he's been doing since the beginning of time. And he can do that in the person in your life who it feels like there's no way they're going to come back to God. He can do it. And sometimes all you can do is just pray. And as we think about this, just real quick, a lot of studies are showing, specifically parents, that will begin to reject some of what Scripture says just to keep their relationship, usually with their children, without any tensions. Right? So their child might start rejecting Jesus. And the parent has two choices. Do I hold to what the Bible says? Like, not cut them out, but what do I... Do I hold to what the Bible says? Or do I start to kind of walk back from the Bible, from what the Bible says, so I can keep a close relationship with my children? I'm not a parent, so I can't imagine how hard that decision is. But that's a hard decision. That's a hard thing to hold on to what the Bible says and risk there being tension and even maybe a loss in relationship if your child says, well, listen, I don't want anything to do with you if you're going to hold to what the Bible says. But Jesus says we have to love him more than mother, father, child. Don't cave in. Hold to what the Bible says. Hold on to it. Don't cave in. Maybe you're here and you are that prodigal person. Or maybe you're watching online. Like you've kind of been in this season of rebellion. God's grace is near. Go to Him. It's never too late. He rejoices in those who turn back to Him. That's what His heart desires. That's what His heart rejoices in. There's a party in heaven when even just one turns back to God. Just in verse 32, we see the beauty of this gospel. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. This is the beauty of the gospel and why we can never get bored of it. We were dead and were made alive. Like if you were to be executed... In the morning you were going to be executed, you just found out you were pardoned and freed. I don't think he would ever get tired of that good news, right? You would be shouting from the mountaintops. You have been saved from worse than an execution, eternal separation from God. Not just saved, but the God who you have cursed and rebelled against, he took your punishment for you, died a brutal death to save you. We should be singing from the mountaintops every morning. Free, free, I am free. How could we ever get tired of this good news? But as you look at the older son, you see that it's very, very easy to forget everything we just looked at. As you look at the older son, like, what's his attitude? Oh, His heart is hardened, right? He feels an entitlement to reward. He feels self-righteous. There's an arrogance. There's a hardness of heart. He won't even call his brother his brother. In verse 30, he says, When this son of yours came. Oh. Look at this hardened heart. 
His brother just came back. His brother just repented, just turned back from his sin. He has his brother back. His father has his son back. And all he cares about is that his younger brother didn't get what was coming to him. We see a a greater glimpse of this kind of attitude in Luke chapter 18. 9 through 14. So again, Jesus is talking to the tax collectors. Who's the older son in this parable? The Pharisees and the religious leaders. That's who the older son is. The Pharisees and the religious leaders. So Jesus is telling another parable to the Pharisees. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray for, to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Tax collector was seen as like the worst of sinners. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector or the Pharisee's heart is so hardened. He thinks, I'm right with God because I do all of these good things. He thinks he's better than the rest. He doesn't even care that the tax collector, seen as the worst kind of sinner, is there praying and turning back to God. He doesn't care. All he cares about is himself. And Jesus' point here in this parable and in the parable of the lost son was to convict and show he was right to pursue lost sinners, even the ones seen as the worst kind. Jesus wasn't trying to help us see how do you get to that point or how do you fix it. But I want us to think through how does a heart get to that point? And how, how do you keep yourself from going there or how do you turn back if you're already there? Because here's the reality. There is a danger in that you becoming like the Pharisees and becoming like the older son. Especially when you've been saved a long time and it's easy to forget the depths of your wickedness and the heights of God's grace. And if you're not careful, you'll get to this point. Where you're full of arrogance. You don't really care about the lost. You think you're right with God because you do all sorts of outward things. It's a real danger. So what's the problem here with the older son? It's the hardened heart. How do you get to that point? The only way you can get to that point is if you forget the depth of your wickedness and the heights of God's grace. And it's never a mental forgetfulness. It's a heart that forgets. I'm sinful. I can't even stand in the presence of God if Jesus didn't save me. The heart that kind of forgets the reality of these things. Your heart's slowly going to start to harden and drift. It's kind of like, I think, like a river. Like if you're not actively fighting against this drifting and this hardening, it's going to happen. If this older son 
Like just was in awe and, and reflecting and focusing on God's grace and his own sinfulness. There would have been no holier than thou attitude. There would have been no entitlement. There would have been joy that a fellow sinner was saved. This forgetfulness has devastating effects. Titus 1, chapter verse 14 says, He, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So so Titus is saying, Jesus saved us for good works. But what happens is, when, when you start, your heart starts to harden, starts to drift, you forget your sinfulness and God's grace, Two things can happen. And it's a mighty big pendulum. First, you could start to think, I'm made right with God by my outward obedience. And you totally forget. You're saved not by works, but by God's grace. But then you become a Pharisee. Like they made up extra rules. As if God hadn't given enough commands. Oh my goodness. Talk about overachievers. But they were totally missing the point. They thought they were right with God because I tithe, I pray, I do all these things. But they were so far from God, they didn't even realize it. So if you're not careful, like if your heart isn't soft, if you aren't preaching the gospel to yourself over and over and over again, reminding yourself of God's grace, your wickedness, your unworthiness, but how God has chosen you. Like if you're not focusing on that, you might drift to, I'm right with God because I do all these outward things of obedience. Or the pendulum can swing and you forget that God has saved you for good works. And you throw your hands in the air and you're not even concerned about what God says. You, You kind of fall into this spiritual laziness. And this can happen if you're not preaching the gospel to yourself. You'll swing one direction or the other. Either way, it's a hardened heart. And again, just like the river, if you're not swimming against the current, fighting against this hardening and this drift, it's going to happen. I see it in my heart all the time. Like sometimes I go, oh my goodness, how is this happening so quick? But it happens. Another thing that will happen is your view of self will always be at the expense of others. So you might lift yourself up as you put others down. Right? You'll look at someone that maybe has big sin areas or issues that they're wrestling with and you'll kind of lift yourself while putting them down like, well, I don't do that. They're really messy. We kind of lift ourselves up. We make ourselves feel better. Or we'll put ourselves down. I'm never going to get to that spot. I can't do that. Right? The jealousy and envy. Like, If you're not careful preaching God's grace and your wickedness to yourself... How you see yourself is going to be on a scale, always changing depending on if you think the person is worse than you or better than you. Like here, here, here's, here's some things to help you think through. Like are you where the older son was? Do you feel entitled like God and others owe you? Do you gossip or talk bad about people? Usually that comes from a spot where you think you're better than that person. Do you often think of others but not yourself when you hear instruction from God's word? Do you look down on people you think are messy? Are there people you feel superior to? 
Are there people you don't think deserve forgiveness? And if they were to turn back to God, you'd say, that's not fair. Are there people you're unwilling to forgive? Do you come to church expecting your preferences to be met? And when they're not, you are upset and angry and even think about leaving the church. Do you ever feel a deep concern for the loss? I mean, we could go on and on, but just think about your own heart. This kind of sin and hardening, it will spread quick, quicker than you realize. It'll be like a cancer in your heart and in the church. It will spread quickly in the church and people will be able to smell it in here. They'll know. You can feel it when the church is full of Pharisees, hardened hearts that are just cared about outward obedience. If you see messy people in here, like you can't look down on them or avoid them. We want messy people in here. Why? Because we're all messy people in different ways. Like, pray that messy people will come in here. Like, do you ever pray? Like, God, bring in messy, lost, sinful people in here. Do you ever pray that? I pray every Sunday, Lord, bring people that have never stepped foot in a church building. We want those kinds of people because those are the kinds of people there's a party in heaven when they hear the gospel and are saved. Like, Satan is prowling. He wants to take down churches and Christians. And one of the ways he's going to do that so you're going to get bored of the gospel. Your heart will drift and harden and he's got you right where he wants you. Like how do we keep this from happening? How do we turn back if this is already where your heart is? You've got to keep the gospel close. You can never afford to forget the depth of your wickedness and the heights of God's grace. This is why Paul, over and over again, wrote to the people he was writing to to remember the gospel. So I just have four example passages here. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, or the gospel that he preached. 2 Timothy 2.14 He's talking to a fellow pastor. Remind them of these things the gospel. Charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I want to make clear for you brothers and sisters the gospel I preached to you which you received on which you have taken your stand. Romans 11.22 Therefore consider God's kindness and severity. Severity towards those who have fallen but God's kindness toward you if you remain in his kindness. Now Paul is saying, preach the gospel to them. Remind them of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. But he wasn't saying that because he thought the people would forget about it. Some of these people were probably alive and there to see Jesus die and rise again. Why is he telling them to remember and remind them of these things? Because it is so easy for your heart to become bored and hardened against the good news that God has seen your wickedness but died to save you. You've got to preach the gospel to yourself. 
You can't afford not to. One of my greatest fears, and I have a lot of fears when it comes to me being in ministry, but one of my greatest fears is that in 20, 30 years, my heart will be hardened and bored of these beautiful things. I'm so scared of that happening. I can't afford that to happen to me, and you can't afford it to happen to you either. Like, pray for me as I pray for you. None of us can afford this to happen. And if it can happen to the people that we're supposed to be leading God's people, it can happen to you. None of us are immune to it. And it happens so quick. Like, I find myself, my heart, not being concerned about the lost and it happens so quick where I realize my heart is not broken or mourning over those who don't know Jesus here in the community and around the world. That is wrong. But it happens so quickly if you're not careful. I find myself Lifting myself up or putting myself down based on the people I come into contact with. Man, they're way, like, they're way better than me, right? That's what I'm thinking. Or man, I'm way better than them. Like, this is sick and it's a cancer that will spread to your heart and the church. Like, I don't want this for me. And I don't want it for you. Corey Ten Boom, famous missionary, said, If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. And that's how it starts. You're too busy. You don't take time to sit and pray and ask God for help, to reflect on the gospel, to ask Him just to help you not get bored of the gospel. That's how it starts. And then you'll drift. Your heart will harden and Satan's got you right where he wants you. This is a danger for all of us. What do we do? Well, there's nothing you can do on your own. It's got to be the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Which means we got to be asking God, God, help me to be in awe of the gospel. God, you got to help me. Which means we, we, we have to be taking time to pour out, cry out to God and ask Him, help me. Because it's like a current. If you're not fighting it, The drift and the hardening is going to happen. Sing gospel-rich songs. Like, one that actually talks a lot about this parable is His Mercy is More by, I believe, Matt Boswell. I would encourage you, just listen to that today, even on the car ride home. His Mercy is More. But sing gospel-rich songs. You've got to sit quietly. You've got to keep going back to the gospel. You've got to keep praying. Like, a great prayer to pray is the prayer that the tax collector prayed. Man, that was like six prayers um, where he says God have mercy on me a sinner if you don't know what to pray that's a great spot to start have mercy on me a sinner God I know where my heart's going to go if you don't stop it you got to help me You can't afford for this hardening to happen. Our church can't afford it to happen. 
our community and the world can't afford it to happen. Fight it. The gospel is the best news. God became man to save us. We were made to be in awe of God and his gospel. That's the sweet spot. That's what we were made to do. Oh my goodness. The heart that is in awe of God and the gospel, they're right where they're supposed to be. And there is a sweet joy. Like it is a fight and it's a war to fight against the current. But it is a sweet fight. And it is worth it. To have that kind of joy deep in your heart. It's worth it. So let's pray right now. And as, as I pray, like you pray and ask God to help you. Let us pray. God, there is no better news than what you have done for us. Lord, I, I pray. Help us. God, if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray, hold up the mirror and show them they're done for. They can't stand in your presence, but show them that you are their only hope because you died to save them. Lord, I I pray for those of us who know you. Thank you for saving us, but God, help our hearts to never become tired or bored of this great good news. Help us to fight against the current. Keep our hearts soft and in love with you. You gotta help us, God. We can't do it on our own. Have mercy on us, sinners. Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen.